Welcome to Delivering More Together, the podcast brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, VHA Innovation Ecosystem. I'm Bryn Cole. Now, if your first thought is that a podcast hosted by the federal government sounds like a total snooze fest, I challenge you to stay for a listen and let us change your mind. Here, we'll open your eyes, well, ears, to the groundbreaking innovation underway at VHA and how through innovation and collaboration, VHA is exceeding expectations, restoring hope, and building trust within the veteran community. Today's episode focuses on innovation at VHA at the 20,000 foot view, highlighting how the VHA innovation ecosystem supports a remarkable amount of innovation inside and even outside the VA. This one just might also include one of the slowest lightning rounds you've ever heard. Hi, this is uh, Blake Henderson with the VHA Diffusion of Excellence program, moderating the pod today uh, for VHA Innovation Ecosystem. I'm here, uh, joined here with two special guests uh, and leaders within the, the innovation ecosystem. I'm going to go ahead and have them introduce themselves now. Uh, Ryan Vega, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Blake. I'm Ryan Vega. I'm the executive director of the VHA Innovation Ecosystem. I'm also a hospitalist. I've uh, been doing a little bit more of that work in the, the past couple of, of months in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, but got into this work really serendipitously. I have a background in quality and safety, uh, was privileged to join the VA as a trainee and continue on that career, really focused on quality and safety, and then stumbled upon work uh, in the Diffusion of Excellence program and then now as the uh, Innovation Ecosystem program. Great, and I think you're being a little modest uh, as you are the currently the executive director of VH Innovation Ecosystem. So you're you're making a lot of this uh, stuff run. So thanks, Ryan. Uh, next up, we have uh, uh, Kit Teague joining us. Uh, Kit, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role within the VHA Innovation Ecosystem? Yeah, thanks, Blake. Um, I, I'm Kit Teague. I'm deputy director for VHA Innovation Ecosystem. And I've been with VA for about, uh, I think, 17 years. And in those 17 years, I've worked at every level of the organization. I worked at, at uh, Central Office for the IG's office at one point. Uh, I worked for Vision 21 out in Northern California. Worked for Palo Alto VA for a good stint. And for the past nine years, I, I've been working for innovation in a variety of different roles. Awesome. So um, I have worked with both you gentlemen for uh, several years now, uh, Kit, I think even longer than several years. And I've noticed that you all both bring a lot of empathy to the job for, for innovators, whether they're, uh, you know, coming from within the federal government, within Veterans Affairs, uh, or, or outside in the private sector. So um, perhaps starting with you, Ryan, I was just curious if you might, pull from some of your experiences um, prior to, to joining VA, especially, I know you spent time, a lot of time at uh, VCU as well as, uh, you know, the quality manager at VA. I wondered if you could tell us uh, about some experiences that kind of helped you um, relate a lot to the innovators we, we work for. Yeah, Blake, it's a, it's a great question, sort of, you know, I often reflect on how I went from 
a physician who thought he was not going to go into residency and, and was looking at business school or law school, um, from, from that period of thinking to uh, winding up as a chief medical resident, which was another uh, serendipitous story. There was four chief residents. I wasn't originally selected as one of the four chiefs. There was an opportunity to be part of a program called the Chief Resident for Quality and Safety. And I just happened to be the only person in the room who was not interested in quality and safety, but was just doing work because I was still trying to find my footing in healthcare. And that opportunity uh, was available. I was sort of voluntold that this is going to be a good uh, career path for you. And, and what ended up happening was the program, my internal medicine residency program, decided to create a fifth chief medical resident with a focus on quality and safety. It was, a, it was an emerging trend at the time. It made sense to the program. And so I sort of was able to wear dual hats where I was the chief medical resident for quality and safety as well as the, the VA chief resident for quality and safety. And I think what happened during that year was I really gained an appreciation for academic medicine, but I was also thrust into a lot of leadership opportunities within the VCU health system. And, and particularly one that really gave me some ground and, and I think the skills and the knowledge I learned uh, have been, and I continue to translate that to the work to we to today, is we had a, a, a process innovation as well as a, a technology innovation where we were implementing and standardizing resident handoffs, and really it expanded to provider communication across the health system. Communication errors still to this day are one of the leading causes of medical errors or one of the leading causes of medical, medical malpractice claims, at least the root cause of the malpractice claim. And we had an opportunity to standardize the actual process of communication, but to implement and really design a customized tool within the electronic medical records that really augmented and improved clinical workflows and processes, standardized uh, information and data sharing, and had a whole a bunch of other, uh, I think, innovative uh, design features within the electronic medical record. And, and so I, I found myself over the next two to three years leading that initiative and spreading and scaling that innovation across the health system. And, you know, what it, what it told me was a lot of, or taught me was a lot of principles that I think we preach today. You know, the idea that the innovation, the solution has to be practical. You have to truly consider and understand the clinical or the administrative workflow and how you optimize that workflow, not disrupt it. You have to really understand the end user's experience, the customer's experience. In this case, it may have been uh, neurosurgical residents or orthopedic residents or uh, attending hospitalists. And the tool is just a tool, right? It enables a process. The innovation just enables us to experience something in a different way. And as long as that experience is delivering value and the end user is involved at every step of the way, uh, you generally find a solution that will be adopted and scaled. And so really without knowing it, I was learning human-centered design by practicing it with no formal experience. And I think I was starting to recognize some of the core elements uh, of what makes innovation successful. So we, we had a, a strong workforce that was really embracing and we were helping to train uh, those individuals on how to think about this process improvement. Uh, we had a strategic partner with Transformative Med uh, that was vital to the success of the initiative. 
uh, we were investing in the workforce, right? We were investing in the front line and really not considering a primary endpoint as being the return on investment, although we, we had a strong business case. But this was about safety for our patients. But it was also about the improved employee experience and the reduction on um, some of the cognitive burden that comes with the amount of the sheer amount of data that flows in a given day as, as a physician, as well as the challenges now of having uh, more shift-based work. And so I think without really knowing it, you know, I was learning a lot of the foundation that was going to take me uh, to where I am today. And I, I still apply a lot of those uh, lessons learned and a lot of the skills that I gained. Awesome. So it sounds like like a lot of our, our innovators, uh, you know, you kind of started and ran a ran with a, a startup uh, within a, a large healthcare system. Uh, and so I, I can definitely see where that uh, that that carries over to your job today. Um, Kit, how about, how about you? So, you know, my, my experience with the innovation, uh, community comes with managing a variety of different innovations, uh, throughout the life cycle from, you know, early stage prototype development all the way through, through scaling across the enterprise. And, uh, what I've noticed to be successful is you have to cast a wide net, uh, not only internal partners, uh, but external partners to get the right perspective and collaborations necessary to deliver, uh, you know, a solution that, that can be scaled and can be adopted more broadly. Because if you don't get these divergent perspectives and, and get everybody at the table, you're going to come up with something that's half-baked and, and uh, it, it's not going to work. Uh, so I, I think as far as, you know, my perspective on this, uh, you, you've got to cast that net wide. You, you've got to, got to build a network of kindred spirits to help you move innovation along. And that's the key to success. Awesome. Yeah. As long as I've, I've known you and worked with you, you've been excellent at uh, building alliances and, and creating groups of people that can drive change. Um, well, let me ask you both. Um, you know, with the, the kind of field of view that, that you have, could each of you talk about uh, one uh, type of perhaps disruptive or transformational uh, innovation that you see uh, coming down the road and that, that really excites you a lot? Well, I, I, think, I think the one that comes to mind for me um, is the one that we're working on with the National Center for Collaborative Healthcare Innovation out in Palo Alto. Uh, it's called Project Convergence. And... Uh, Last fall, we partnered with um, uh, several companies uh, to kind of move this forward uh, within the organization, and I think it has the potential to basically be transformational. Uh, Project Convergence essentially uh, were, you know, exploring, uh, you know, how do we leverage 5G capabilities uh, to deliver emerging technology solutions that will improve veteran healthcare. And uh, we, we partnered with uh, Verizon, Microsoft, and a company named Metabus. Um, all of them bringing unique perspectives and, and skill sets to the table uh, for project convergence. And, you know, the first use case that we're exploring uh, is around uh, the Metabus solution, which is a, a, a VR, AR platform uh, that allows you to. Uh, basically visualize um, 
in, in 3d holographic form, uh, you know, the, what's your, what, a, what a surgeon's going to be operating on, uh, within the field of surgery and actually explore that real time, uh, during surgery and, and, uh, basically, you know, not have to rely on recollection or memory. Um, and it could be transformational. And it's, it's one of these things that, um, uh, is just one of many use cases with 5g, um, that we're going to explore, but, you know, having these partners allowed us from going from when we started this in, in late fall uh, to basically being able to deliver uh, Palo Alto was one of the first 5G capable hospitals uh, in the country uh, and within the VA uh, especially. Uh, but we were able to do it in such a short time frame because we were, uh, you know, using these partners to basically uh, force multiply the effort and expedite it. And now we've got uh, 5G capabilities that we can explore with the Metavis solution as well as uh, many more solutions that, that we're coming up with uh, at the uh, the National Center in Palo Alto. I think it's going to be transformational for VA and for veteran care. Awesome. We'll be uh, really excited to see what comes out of uh, the 5G uh, build-out and implementation, which is already taken place and, and now they're starting to experiment with technologies out in, out in Palo Alto. Guy left us hanging. Um, Kit, question, another question for you. Um, so VA is not necessarily known, you know, in the broader industry as, uh, you know, this, this center of or, or hub of innovation. Uh, can you talk a little bit wh- about why you think that might be and, and what are some of the things we're doing to, uh, to try to change that? Uh, why that might be, uh, we, we, we've, we've historically not done a, uh, a wonderful job at, at telling our story and messaging what we're doing. We, we've got our heads down so much uh, uh, focused in on delivering great care to veterans and innovating that we, we oftentimes forsake telling the story of that. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, you know, uh, there's three folks within the VA over the course of, of, of time that, that have won the, uh, the Nobel Prize uh, for different kind of work, uh, you know, in the, in the healthcare innovation field. Um, we, you know, we've got a great system. I think the best system. I, I can't think of one organization that more holistically uh, invests in innovation uh, the way that we do. I mean, you, you think about uh, the ecosystem, uh, you know, in general. Uh, we've got a variety of different portfolios that are investing in innovation at different levels. We've got Innovators Network focusing on on frontline uh, innovation, experiential learning, and workforce development around innovation. We've got Diffusion of Excellence uh, focused in on uh, scaling uh, promising practices and innovations uh, across the enterprise. Uh, we've got our Care and Transformational Initiatives portfolio focused on a variety of different uh, emerging uh, technologies and solutions to drive veterans healthcare forward, such as, you know, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, precision medicine, uh, just to name a few. Uh, we, we are in it uh, wholeheartedly as far as investing from the VA perspective. It's, it's oftentimes that we just, we're so involved uh, with what we're doing, focusing on, on delivering solutions for veterans that we just 
don't effectively tell a story. And I think that's, that's part of the reason uh, we're here today. I think that's part of the reason that uh, we have an innovation experience every year is to basically bring everybody together, uh, show how we're collaborating as far as being a, a collective ecosystem within the VA and, and showing those shared wins and how they're delivering value to veterans. I think you, you covered uh, all the ground there. It's, uh, there's so much opportunity. And, and like you said, we've definitely in the past not, not told our story. And, uh, you know, IEX, as you know, is all about uh, putting that story front and center. So we're super excited for that in late October. You know, you've worked on a number of innovations within the Veterans Health Administration, especially. Can you talk about one of the innovators within our our system who just made a really kind of impression on you and, and perhaps why? Give me a second to think on that one. There's a lot of folks um, that I've been impressed with in my time with me to, 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 to find one. Um, you know, I, I think one of the most tenacious innovators, uh, that, that I've worked with over the years is, um, Sheena House, who's, uh, I, I don't know, you know, she's a chief of biomedical engineering there at the Memphis VA. And, uh, she's just been like a bulldog, uh, advocate for, uh, spinal cord injury patients. And there at Memphis, um, you know, she was aware of, um, you know, the environmental controls technology that spinal cord injury uh, patients have available to them in a hospital environment. And uh, if you don't know what environmental controls are, basically, when you have a spinal cord injury patient, uh, a lot of times uh, they can do uh, some of the functions for themselves, some basic functions, like basically turn on their TV, turn on their lights, uh, change the channel, uh, operate the phone, things of that nature. Uh, they have to have a, a, a nurse come in and do a lot of those things for them. And they, they're always craving uh, more independence uh, to be able to do things for themselves. And, uh, you know, there's some technology uh, called uh, environmental controls that, um, you know, technology that allows uh, these veterans uh, to be able to control some of these items, but it's, you know, the technology is, is in the hospital environments was, was really obsolete um, and, and not up to speed with what was going on in the commercial environment for residential patients. And so what she did is she worked tirelessly uh, to try to figure out a way how to take uh, the more advanced commercial residential technology um, to retrofit it to a hospital environment and uh, she searched all over and 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 really had a, a quite a time finding a company that was willing to embark on that journey with her but but her persistence paid off because she found a company and uh, they worked tirelessly for uh, about a year and a half taking uh, the most advanced residential uh, technology for environmental controls and retrofitting it to a hospital environment and uh, what it uh, ended up uh, being was essentially like uh, an iPad at the ba at the bedside that act as a um, a universal remote control for the veteran uh, to be able to operate 
uh, everything in their environment, their lights, their phone, um, the, uh, the television, all without the health of a nurse. And they could do it through this, this, this tablet device. And they could do it through, you know, sip and puff straw. They could do it through voice command. They could do it through eye gaze, head tracker, all these different unique technologies that had not previously been available uh, in, in hospital environmental control units. And, uh, you know, she, once she had this prototype, she, she worked with us to put it in at, at all the beds in Memphis. Um, and it was very successful and so successful that we, uh, we worked tirelessly, uh, with, with, uh, all the executive leadership to, uh, get funding to put this at, at any VA that had an SCI center that wanted it. And, you know, we were able to put it in to 20 of the 24 VAs uh, throughout the country. And we even had when Bob McDonald was secretary, uh, he came and, and visited Memphis uh, with, with me and Sheena. And she was able to tell the story uh, about how she, she saw uh, a need for an improvement uh, that the commercial market just was not delivering for whatever reason. And, and she fought like hell. Uh, to, to make it a reality. And now uh, across, the, across the nation, veterans are able to experience a level of independence that they never would have had it not been for Sheena House. Uh, she, she epitomizes, uh, you know, the innovation spirit in VA. I'm, I'm very impressed with her. Wow, that's, a, that's an awesome story. I, uh, I had no idea that it sounds like VHA and, and Sheena and the team we kind of effectively helped co-design this for veterans and, and kind of bring it into being. Is that, is that an accurate way to put it? Yeah. So, you know, this, this company had, uh, you know, an environmental, a very advanced environmental control unit that they were selling to the residential customers. And um, they had never explored putting it in, in a hospital because, you know, VA has the largest population of spinal cord injury. Uh, patients, but that that the population is is still pretty relatively small. Uh, so you know they really never thought to explore that market. It didn't make sense for them. Uh, but once Sheena, you know, uh, shared her vision with them and worked hand in hand with them and the SMEs and the VA who understood, you know, the logistics of a hospital environment. Uh, the, the quality controls, the uh, infection controls, they were able to get the, the, the expertise and, and, a, and a, you know, the comfort to basically take that product to the next level. And, uh, you know, that shows where, you know, you bring our SME community, our expertise, our vision, and marry it up with companies with great technologies and great capabilities uh, to deliver and you can get something that you never dreamed of. Wow, that was a great story. Um, appreciate you describing that from, from that journey from beginning to end. So let's see, Ryan, I don't know if um, this has been advertised uh, too widely uh, outside of the VA, but um, there's a new program that's recently joined us uh, called SimLearn, uh, joining the VHA Innovation Ecosystem which is going to bring all kinds of new capabilities 
for us to innovate both both internally as well as importantly externally with other partners uh, in industry. Can you talk a little bit about that move and and what you think it means? You know, I think it's just, it, it, it's the beginning of what I like to think is going to be a very strong and important partnership for the organization. A lot of the capabilities that SimLearn bring and, and the concept of simulation, you, you often see it in the private sector and at other academic institutions tied together with innovation, that there's this, this belief that innovation is inherently a learning process, which we preach and I think we believe it is. And the idea of simulation is creating not only a safe space, but a realistic space where a lot can be tested in more of a real world setting than, than the actual clinical care setting. And really standardization and opportunities for learning are augmented in a simulated type of, of curriculum or didactic. That whether it's emerging health technology that's starting to be adopted at multiple sites and you're looking for better integration into the workflow, the ability to evaluate impact on workflows, or really optimization of its use, all the way to something that has been around for decades, such as resuscitation, and how you continuously push the envelope to achieve better outcomes. And in some ways, you know, the concept of, of it being more nonlinear innovation or linear innovation, in this case where it's maybe incremental improvements of a process or a design, I think this concept of, of having a 50,000 square foot replica of a hospital, which can act as not only a living laboratory, a uh, site where subject matter experts can come together and truly uh, define best of breed curriculum or the standard training, and then distribute that out to the organization um, is a really powerful asset for VA. And I know the, the SimLearn team is, is incredibly excited about what the future holds for them. But let me just give you just an example of, of where I see this uh, really being a, a, a huge asset to the organization. On the, over the next decade, we'll be deploying and implementing a new electronic health record, Cerner. While this is going to take years and years and years of implementation as we go from site to site, the simulated environment provides a really unique aspect of training, the ability to have a replica of the electronic medical record and to create some simulated scenarios and to in, and introduce new workflows and to see how providers, clinicians, administrators operate within those workflows in some of a real world setting. So while you never wanna just turn the switch on and say, go for it, uh, the day of surgery, right? Um, you can mock out some of these things in a more realistic world. And what it gives you the opportunity to do is to really take your time and to improve workflows that have been uh, simulated out and, and do so ever before you're, you're actually going into what you call production, the real world environment. Um, I think you could look at this for new technologies that may not be built in within the Cerner system, but that are bolted on sometimes as they call it, or that are augmentation or additional uh, emerging technologies that integrate within the system. It's sort of the ability to actually test how well these new tools and software applications do integrate into the system. How much does it impact the workflow? So to give you an example, 
let's imagine a interventional cardiologist who has a new software uh, tool that they really like. They think it can help them while they're in the uh, angiography suite. But they have to go from the Cerner system to another system, log out of the Cerner system, go into a new system. All of that can be simulated out and, and sort of in a mock environment. You can really see that, look, this doesn't integrate to the way that we really hoped. Um, and it took us 20 more minutes, actually, in, you know, in the intervention lab uh, because of some of the technological barriers. But if we did these things differently, right, if we built this integration or we changed this workflow, um, or sometimes as simple as if I had a printer right here, that some of those things become more apparent when you're actually testing these things out, not behind a computer, but actually in an environment where multiple people are, are contributing their input. And so I think that's one way, just one area that SimLearn will really play a vital role into driving uh, VA towards becoming a, a not only a high reliability organization, but really a, a centerpiece of the learning organization, I think, as we evolve. Thanks for expanding on that. I think uh, most people don't know we have a, uh, basically a uh, full-scale um, simulation hospital available to us as an, as an organization. So we expect some exciting things to come from, from SimLearn. All right. Um, so lightning round, uh, preferably one-word answers. Sometimes you got to go a little bit longer. First one's for Ryan. Uh, favorite player on, New, on the New Orleans Saints? Oh, man. <laughs> Ooh, you lightning. Uh, I mean, look. Yeah, this is, is so, we got to go faster. Right. So Drew Brees has done <laughs> so much for the organization. I'm not going to – I'm sorry. This isn't going to be a lightning round. This has done so much for the organization, um, so much for the city of New Orleans. Man, really hard not to put it out there, but but I'll tell you, and I may shock you, one, one of the – one of the guys I absolutely love watch playing, not only because his technique I think is just incredible, but he is relentless, is Cameron Jordan. Um, he, I think, is often not stated as, as sort of the linchpin, as a core piece to our defense. Um, so can I pick an offensive player and a defensive player? So offense, obviously, it's going to be – you're really, you're really bogging down the lightning round here. Uh, right. Yeah, look, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll say number nine, uh, and then a defensive player, I have to say Cam Jordan. All right. Uh, thank you for that extremely uh, long-winded but effective answer, uh, Ryan. Uh, okay, just like uh, Ryan uh, famously hails from New Orleans, Kit, you're, uh, you're coming to us out of uh, Arkansas. Uh, thing you miss most about Arkansas? Ooh. The food, that's an easy one. Uh, McClard's Barbecue, to be exact, in Hot Springs. Best barbecue joint in the country. Awesome. I was, I was thinking maybe we'd hear some, uh, some fried catfish references. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's in the top five somewhere. Yeah, uh, definitely. Cool. All right. Uh, now getting back to the topic at hand, uh, Ryan, one one word, maybe two. Hardest thing about driving innovation within the federal government? Change. Change. All right. Kit? Man. I, I think I have to go with Ron's answer. Change? Yeah. I mean, uh, 
that, that about sums it up. It's, it's, we're, we're kind of impervious to it. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's tough. Keep, keep going. Tell us, tell us about it. Well, um, I mean, you know, where we're operating from an innovation standpoint, uh, we're, we're in healthcare innovation and, and healthcare innovation is in a constant state of flux. Uh, you've got, you know, new clinical guidelines and practices. You've got uh, new technology intersecting with that, and it's just all over the place all the time. And then you've got the federal government bureaucracy and, and some of the, uh, you know, kind of the <laughs> burdens, if you will, uh, that get placed on us, uh, and, and rightfully so a lot of times because, you know, we've got to be accountable for uh, to the taxpayers and such, but it does slow down things a little bit in my opinion, but, uh, for, for a good reason, a lot of times, but it, it does create a unique environment where it's very difficult to innovate and, and affect change quickly. Uh, it, it often seems like it's incremental, uh, but when there's really a game changer, um, everybody re- recognizes that naturally and they all rally around it. Uh, both internal folks and external folks that want to come to the table to help as well. And, and they move it quickly. Uh, I, I've been just completely enamored uh, by the response uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, where we have partnered with NIH, FDA and America makes uh, to help rapidly uh, uh, affect uh, the PPE supply chain uh, in this country through designing uh, open source solutions that can be 3D printed. And uh, the VA uh, and the efforts, uh, a lot led by Ryan and, and Beth Ripley and, and Josh Patterson, uh, have basically you know, answered the call uh, during this crisis and, and putting 3D printing on, on the forefront of exploring new ways that, that uh, we can better healthcare through this technology. It's, it's, it's completely amazing. Awesome. I know I, uh, you know, slowed us down from our lightning round, but I, I wanted to pull on that, that thread a little bit. So appreciate you expanding on that. Um, all right. Continuing to try to attempt to go quick here, a most important personality trait to have while innovating it in government or anywhere, frankly. You generally hear most people say that one of the, that, that the most important, one of the most important attributes is resilience. And I, look, I certainly think that that's important. I'm starting to believe that confidence is perhaps more important than just resilience. And the reason I, I target that is you've got to, if you're really passionate, and I mean, truly passionate and confident in what you're doing, I think by default, you will be resilient to failure and to changes. Uh, and I don't mean to mean confidence in the sense that, that you're arrogant. I, I truly mean passionate. That You have a passion that runs so deep for what you're doing that there's not much that's going to stop you. Uh, by nature, those people are resilient. So I think for me, the, the one attribute I, I feel is most important is confidence. Awesome. Kit? I would definitely say persistence. Uh, Rockhead type persistence. Um, Can get, you know, knocked down and get back up quickly uh, and and charge ahead. Don't take no for an answer. Um, 
that is that is what gets the job done at the end of the day. Innovation is about ideas, but more importantly, it's about execution. It's because it's the execution that delivers the impact. And if you've got somebody that is at all costs going to be persistent enough to drive something forward through all those barriers, uh, I think that is a, a, a tremendously valuable attribute for an innovator. All right. Uh, quick question for Ryan. We heard from Kit on this earlier. Uh, Ryan, the mo- what's the most exciting technology to you uh, coming out of our care and transformational initiatives team? Uh, Kit, Kit earlier said uh, 5G and project convergence. Curious as to your thoughts. I think it's 3D printing. I think that without question, the idea that a technology may upend not only the retail market, supply chain and delivery market has not been fully considered in terms of disruption or impact. So if you don't mind, I'll I'll expand upon that a little bit. Imagine a a, a world in which you uh, have a virtual visit with your physician. And again, I realize this is, you know, Star Trek, but I think this is the future. You have a virtual visit with a physician uh, who diagnoses you with uh, upper respiratory infection, likely bacterial, uh, and orders you an antibiotic. And on your kitchen counter is your uh, pharmaceutical 3D printer that uh, just prints the prescription for you. I mean, actually prints the drugs for you, right? You go and you you have on hand um, some inputs uh, to print those drugs, uh, or they ship them to you in an hour from Amazon, uh, and you put them into the computer and it prints your drugs. You know, some sci-fi futuristic world. I don't think that that's unrealistic. And I think if you try to start to peel back, what does that mean? Well, it means that the retail pharmaceutical world, it means retail in general, that that infrastructure is upended and changed. And the whole supply chain, right? because you're, you're doing something at your house uh, or you're doing something within a hospital is upended. I think that's radical transformation for economy. And I think that in healthcare, the, the, the concept of being able to have point of care, rapid development and prototypes of prosthetics and orthotics, and eventually of, of bioprinting of actual implants and tissues that will be used uh, in, in surgical cases. Um, I can't think of something that's going to radically more that has the potential to more radically transform healthcare uh, than that. Awesome. And for those who don't know it, uh, we essentially here at, in the Veterans Health Administration have probably the strongest 3D printing network, uh, applying 3D printing technologies as well as doing research uh, in the country. Uh, so some exciting things are going to continue to come uh, from that group. Uh, well, I am I'm pretty much out of questions, gentlemen. I've covered a lot of ground. Um, thank you for joining us today. Uh, any last, any last uh, parting thoughts uh, for those out there about what we're trying to do here in the VHA innovation ecosystem? Kit, I'll hand it to you for a sec. What we're trying to do is we're trying to deliver impact. 
everything that we do should be geared toward delivering operational value to the organization so we can in turn deliver to veterans. Uh, I know that Ryan and I are, are laser focused on that. And I know a lot of you folks in the field are as well. And it's, you know, without you guys, uh, we're, we're not going to be able to, to, to execute on that mission. Ryan, any parting thoughts? I think it's about value. I think value is a, a multifaceted concept. You know, people like to look at quality and cost. It's really a whole lot more than that. I think everything we're, we're trying to do in some, some facet is about changing the, the, the value of the experience, whether that's an employer, the, uh, which would be, you know, VA, uh, the employees, the customer, the veterans, the public, uh, taxpayer who is our funders in essence, uh, our governance, which is Congress and our internal governance. I think it's about changing the value experience, right? And, and, and um, changing perception, uh, but also the reality of how people, I think, experience the VA. It's really, I think that's what we're doing at the heart of it. Awesome. Well, thank you both for the conversation and uh, call it a wrap. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening and be sure to register for the VHA Innovation Experience this October 27th through 29th. If you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, essentially any podcasting app known to phone, computer, tablet, or woman. For more stories on veteran and veteran benefits, check our website, va.gov forward slash innovation dash ecosystem, and follow the VA on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and RallyPoint. No matter the social media, you can always find us with a blue check mark. And as always, the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast nor any media products or services they may provide. And we'll see you right here next time. Thanks for listening.